You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, there is too much to talk about this morning concerning the baptism of our Lord Jesus. And so I'm going to break some uh, homiletical rules, all the rules that the seminary taught me and how to preach a good sermon. And I'll just get straight to the meat of it. We have to ask ourselves the question, what is the point of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River? We'll think about this in two different ways. The first way is we'll think about it with regard to Jesus himself and his life and his ministry. And the second way we're going to think about it is with regard to ourselves and our own baptism. Now, beginning with the Old Testament, we see that there were all kinds of different baptisms that were especially prescribed by Moses in the ceremonial law. Um, you can pick up the sermon to look at all the references there. But it should also uh, be said that all of these different baptisms uh, weren't the main baptism that was preached in the Old Testament. The Scriptures set the Israelites' eyes forward to a better washing that was promised in the New Testament. And so in Jeremiah chapter 4, we read, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. And again, we read in Ezekiel chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. All the other baptisms that we read about talk about some kind of purification for a particular kind of ailment or something like that. This is a washing that saves. A washing that is completely sufficient to make the Israelites and all the rest of the saints uh, righteous before the sight of God. Now, when John came baptizing in the Jordan, this new washing of repentance and the forgiveness of sins was started. But it was far from complete. John himself says as much when he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now it's right for us to hold this picture in our minds of all of the people emptying out of Jerusalem and of Judea and all the surrounding regions and coming down to John at the Jordan River, being baptized with him. And we should see this as the pinnacle of John's ministry. This is why John has come, to gather around himself a congregation of sinners and to give them the hope of the forgiveness of sins. Now, when the presumably holy Pharisees and uh, scribes and Sadducees came, John didn't welcome them. It's not like John uh, said, hey, you finally come to, to where the, the new holy sect is gathering, as if they were already well on their way up the ladder to heaven or something like that. Instead, John called these men, who presumed a righteousness by their works, a brood of vipers. And he told them to become like the poor people who are desperate at the banks of the Jordan River. He told them to repent as sinners. As upside down as John's church of penitence seems to our regular religious sensibilities, it was only the beginning of what Jesus has in store. And so St. Matthew writes, 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fulfilling, it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now remember that John said that he baptized only with water, and that the one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? Now, John, as he is baptizing Jesus, and as Jesus is coming out of the water, he sees his very prophecy fulfilled in front of him, before his eyes. Remarkably, Jesus, John's cousin, didn't say to, to John, step aside, it's time to, uh, for me to step in to continue your work of baptizing, to do a better baptism now. No, that's not what he did. That's probably what John anticipated. Rather, the sinless Jesus submitted himself to his cousin's hands. And he suffered what was meant to be for sinners. And this is the point. That without Jesus entering into the baptism of sinners, no amount of water could ever scrub your souls clean of the stain of sin and the filth of guilt and shame. But when Jesus steps into the water, he binds his own baptism to his preaching and to his ministry. He begins to fill out baptism, and he begins to complete it. Uh, Jesus makes everything that he does over the next three years to be his baptismal work. And how do we know that this is what Jesus is doing with this baptism? Well, look at what you see. Nowhere else in the Holy Scriptures do we find any, a scene such as this. I mean, nowhere else in the Scriptures. Heaven is opened. The Holy Spirit descends and rests on a man, the man Jesus, who the Father announces as his beloved Son with whom he is well pleased. Now, this isn't some sort of ecstatic vision that a prophet had in a sort of -of out-of-body experience, nor was it a dream had in the middle of the night. Instead, the Spirit and the favor of the Father are found with Jesus as he stands in earthly water, the same water that you're used to using to wash your hands and to drink. Now, if the history of salvation were to end at this moment, it still would not be enough for your salvation and your Christian baptism. Like I said, Jesus began to complete baptism, but he needed something more beyond just entering into the water. He needed needed to take the water with him to his death and to his resurrection to finally turn it into the New Testament sacrament that we know today. In John's Gospel, The Baptist sermon of repentance and baptism changes once Jesus goes into the baptism water and comes out of it. The sermon is no longer uh, uh, repent, be baptized into the forgiveness of sins. Instead, what does John do? 
He points at Jesus coming up out of the water and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is, in his baptism, Jesus has become your Lamb, your sin bearer, who is going to die. He is taking your sins from you and he is carrying them to the cross. Dear saints, your baptism wouldn't be worth spit unless Jesus had entered the waters of the Jordan and bound all water everywhere to his, to his blood and his cross. But now your baptism is joined to the sacrificed blood of God's Lamb. And your righteousness before God's throne is fulfilled just as Jesus promised. We see a beautiful picture of this in John's Gospel in the crucifixion. When the side of Jesus is pierced, and what comes out, it is, so, it is, it is strange to us that uh, uh, St. John makes such a big deal about this, but he does. He says, out came water and blood. Water mixed with blood. And John says, I am telling the truth. This is what I saw. He would have us know that by the water of baptism, though it looks clear to our eyes, when we see it with faith, we see the blood of Jesus that washes away sins. Just as St. Paul promises in Romans chapter 6, that in our baptism we are joined and forever united with Christ in His cross and His death and His resurrection. The sins that we think that we commit and bear and that will be used against us at judgment have already been judged in the cross of Jesus. The death that we think that we deserve because of our sins has already been died for by Jesus. So now all we have set before us is His resurrection and His life. The Scriptures tell us when Jesus' work of filling out baptism and completing it is done. It's when Jesus institutes and commands baptism to be used in His church after His resurrection and as He is ascending to be at the right hand of the Father. Jesus says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And again, He says, Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The baptism that St. John was looking forward to, the baptism that the Old Testament was looking forward to at, in that moment, when Jesus institutes it, becomes the true baptism of the New Testament. What this means, dear saints, is that there is nothing lacking in your baptism. Jesus has already done everything to perfect it. And so you see that from the very beginning of your baptism to as you have it right now, it has been Jesus' work from the beginning. All this silliness about baptism being a human work of obedience is a doctrine that is not found in the Bible. In fact, we can see it as an attack on the Lord's death and His resurrection. It completely misses everything that makes Jesus' institution of the sacrament possible that makes this sacrament unlike any that was ever found before it, and unlike any of the old laws that we found that were given by Moses. But instead, we find in baptism a gift, 
a place where Christ's own righteousness is found, where the Father speaks His pleasure, and where the Holy Spirit comes to rest. Now, of course, there's more riches that God would have us uh, learn about in these few verses from from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, So, for instance, we find that this is where Jesus is publicly anointed before people, uh, and where he begins his public work of being Christ. He enters into his office, right? And also, we find a, 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 a wonderful depiction of the doctrine of the three persons of the Holy Trinity. Uh, so this doctrine is affirmed and strengthened here. Um, but maybe that should be uh, for another sermon in another time. Right now, I think we need to spend a few moments thinking about what you have gained from your baptism, what benefits you have. I read recently that there are three parts to Christian baptism. Uh, first of all, there's the water that's poured or sprinkled. The water is not to be left out. It may seem like a small thing. It's just water, H2O, this kind of thing. But don't despise what Jesus himself has made holy by entering into. There are also the beautiful promises about baptism that we find in the Holy Scriptures. This is the second part. Promises like, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and baptism now saves you, and the promises for you and your children. But there's a third part, besides the water and and, uh and the promises, and that is the command or the institution of Jesus. Now, what this does is it keeps us from treating baptism like it's our plaything. It orders the use of baptism as a holy means by which sinners become saints and formally enter into the Holy Christian Church. I don't think I've ever really made this hard distinction in my mind before, but I think it's right. Jesus gives baptism an order for its right use. Because where there's an order, there is something that we can see that is regular, that we can recognize. There's a consistency that becomes a mark of something that lasts through time and can be seen in different places. Because of the order that Jesus gives to baptism that you read about in Matthew chapter 28, we can recognize the church on earth where sinners become saints. We can look to see where a baby is baptized and say to ourselves, Oh, this is where the church is found. This is where God is saving people. We'll conclude by meditating on the particular promises, though. uh, The great gifts that are given to us in baptism. So, the best place to go to read about this is in Titus chapter 3. There we read, God saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. First thing, baptism is a washing of regeneration. That is of rebirth. It makes us spiritually alive, which is important, because apart from baptism... And apart from this rebirth, we are dead, spiritually dead. We are nothing before God but something to be damned and thrown into the pit of hell. But with baptism, we are spiritually alive and we receive everything that God wants to give us. Life and salvation. This is important, by the way, in recognizing this 
uh, uh, regeneration as being the very first part of baptism for us. Uh, because it makes sure that it will never become our work. If you're dead, you can't move yourself. You can't do anything. <laughs> Death is defined by a particular lack of activity. <laughs> you have to be resurrected. You have to be brought back to life. And this is what St. Paul is talking about when he says God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, like your faith, like your spiritual life, to bring to nothing, to, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Your baptism leaves no room for boasting. Jesus, by the way, settles the dispute about baptism, about being God's work alone, and uh, the work of starting spiritual life when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is, you are not born of your own will or the will of another, but of God. The second part is that baptism is a washing of renewal. After baptism, uh, you and I are not transported immediately to heaven. We're not. But we continue in our bodies, the bodies that are still ravaged and corrupted by sin and weakness, uh, bodies that are dying, as our eyes testify. The old desires against God's word, they remain in us, and they fight against the spiritual life that God has given us. Now, this doesn't mean that your baptism is broken. It means that your baptism is a daily struggle between faith and unbelief, a life of repentance and forgiveness, a life of learning to anticipate the redemption of our bodies in the resurrection. The renewal that, uh, that uh, St. Paul talks about in Titus isn't supposed to shame us into thinking that, oh, I haven't yet uh, reached Christian perfection or something like that. It's to give us hope that we should continue exercising ourselves in confessing our sins and in hearing the gospel. In fact, a renewal could probably be best summarized and, and imagined like this. It is getting better and better at hearing God's law and learning to repent of our sins according to that law and learning more and more to trust in the gospel as he continues to to grow in our hearts, and to sound sweeter every time. That is what true Christian progress looks like. Effectively confessing your sins without shame and embarrassment, but doing it. And then clinging to the gospel with pure faith, knowing that whatever the devil says against you is false, that Christ has spoken something better. We're almost done, I promise. Uh, I want you guys to know one last thing. The next time you look at a little baby or an adult who is being baptized over there at the font, I don't want you to concentrate on uh, the water that's getting them wet or the awkward cries uh, uh, as the baby's you know, screaming out in terror. <laughs> the flesh dies hard. I want you to remember Jesus' baptism, and I want you to think, what Jesus shows me in his baptism is happening right there.
I can't see it with my eyes, but I know it by faith. Heaven is being opened. The Holy Spirit is descending and coming to rest upon this person over there. And the Father is saying something profound and true. That this is my beloved child, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.